You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 356, pop music getting sadder over the last 30 years. Come on, cheer up. Oh no, they're reviewing their pre-season Premier League predictions. Uh Uh-oh. And the greatest double acts of all time. Tom and Jerry, Cannonball, Harold Carr and Teddy Johnson, or maybe Terence and Juliet. It's all coming up after Blossoms and Charlemagne. band and particularly the vocals of Tom Ogden and it's from 2015 the first track on their first album uh, it reached number one in the, the UK the album Blossoms and Charlemagne I like them a lot although actually my um, my weirdly my dad seems to have collided with popular culture again they were obviously mm-hmm. on Sunday the other day and he said oh have you heard of this band Blossoms it might have been Jules Holland and I went oh yeah, yeah no, I've seen him he went yeah the singer's called Tom Ogden didn't Stan and Hilda's boy turn out well <laughs> excellent well yeah. he's not good at the difference between fiction and reality <laughs> quite a lot of the time unfortunately they're very good young band I think from Stockport in, yes uh, they Lancashire, are they're yeah. from somewhere enjoyably northern mm. I think and uh, there was a really good article actually by Helen Pitt, who is the Guardian's northern editor, I think, in the Guardian the other day, about um, 
how the idea that London might be over and the North mm. might be enjoying a renaissance and how young people in the North don't have that desire to move down to London that they once did and that there are cities that are doing really well up North. And one of the examples she cited was that one of the biggest bands in the UK, Blossoms, come from Stockport. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 356. Uh, uh, they, they still keep happening, don't they? I got, we've gone past our 350th anniversary. I, I don't know what, what, what do we get for our 375th anniversary is it zirconia or something <laughs> must be some precious metals of some sort <laughs> or I, some imitation metal yeah i'm terence stackham and after a successful week hosting um an excellent radio show and winning pub quizzes it's juliet harris i don't is there anything i can't do that frankly that's very kind of you to say there are many things i can't do can i just qualify in a typically loyal, typically loyally way hello everyone you're a polymath that's what you want. Yeah, indeed, I am vast and contain multitudes. Um, Jules, in a study that's... Mm. Actually, this is just about mirrored your lifetime in that it, it looked <laughs> at a period of the last 30 years. Res- mm. Researchers at the University of California, they looked at half a million songs released in the UK over the last 30 years and marked them according to their mood. And that their findings suggest that overall, happy songs are on the downward trend mm. and sad songs are on on the increase. Now, the researchers seem particularly keen to highlight poor Sam Smith as a key example of songs. I mean, he a... is quite dreary, in fairness, so I don't have a lot of sympathy. I, I know, yes, it's sort of low happiness. I'm sure he's a lovely bloke, um, mm. but but the problem is I like individual songs of his, but a whole album of them is Ooh, very samey. Well, it all leads me to asking you, Jules, your generation, are you all wallowing in misery? Well, I mean, I try not to, despite everything. But um, also, I really like jazz, so I'm not really very typical of my generation. That it's I don't true. really listen to that much music that is that is sort of contemporary, really. Mm. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? it? Is. I, I mean, we we read a lot about the the so-called millennials. So anybody that was born between. Well, it changes all the time, but it, but the, mm-hmm. the the band that seems to stick is 84, 1984 to two. So I just qualify as a millennial. Um, I although I have seen myself occasionally d- described as an Xennial. So so Generation <laughs> X is 60s to 1977. Um, millennials are 84 to 2000. So Xennials are people from 77 to 83 who get their own band, and it's mostly based around technology and internet use. Oh. That seems to be the sort of defining factor there. So we we hear a lot about. I mean, I'm quite old for a millennial. Um, so ironically, so so I mean, uh, perhaps I'm not the best of guides, but certainly a lot of millennials, particularly the younger end of millennials, are you know ex- experiencing people in their twenties are experiencing not the life that their parents would have experienced. And I think we've talked about this before on the podcast mm. about, you know, pressures on housing. I mean, we seem to be waking up to a huge mental health crisis mm. in this country. I know there's been a lot of concerns about there are teachers already worried about the effects of the new GCSE regime, which is about to come in. There's, you know, that there are some very worrying reports coming back from teachers at the coalface. And it seems like there is more pressure on this generation than what well, it, it feels. But the, the, the pressure may maybe there might not be more pressure, but there are certainly some pressures are more heightened. So materialism is sort of such a huge thing now that there is a sort of pre- there seems to be pressure put on you 
that you haven't achieved the life goals of being married, having children, owning a property, you know, which was much easier to do when wages kept pace with housing prices, which they certainly have not done now. So there are a lot of reasons for, for I think, for our generation to, to be a bit sadder maybe, or maybe to be a bit more reflective. Maybe it's not necessarily being sad. Maybe it's it's having a... The 90s felt like a turning point in terms of having an emotional palette, if you see what I mean. And I think that although, you know, some of it was nonsense, the Princess Diana moment in 97 mm. was quite a, was quite a key moment, I think, really, in that, in that it was an outpouring of grief that I don't think had quite been experienced before. And I wonder if it did change the national psyche, like it or not. I wonder if it did have a have a um, have an increase, although interestingly the researchers so i read this article that, that as well and the researchers actually said despite the increase in sad songs researchers found that sadder songs weren't necessarily more popular they said that the public seems to prefer happier songs even though more and more unhappy songs are being released <laughs> each year and they've also said that there's a there's a, a clear downward trend in in the success of rock since the early 2000s and pop and dance music have become much more popular possibly because we've talked again about venues before being you know gradually wound down and how easy it is now to produce sort of pop or dance beats from your room you don't have to have a huge you know i can do dance music on my laptop you know if i can do it literally anyone can so so maybe those are the types of music that are more popular i, I don't know if you know ultimately you can make statistics kind of say what you want them to at, at times and certainly everyone's having a go at doing that nowadays um there's a rise in female-fronted pop which i'm delighted about actually that's that's really good news they reckon there's been a sort of 30 percent rise over the period which is terrific it's it's you know i think that's really good news but i i don't know if pop music is sadder it seems that that lots of songs have even upbeat songs have a melancholy to them mm. so so i think of stuff like larue in for the kill that was quite a you often find that songs sound happy but they might actually be quite melancholy really i don't know i think there's always been music that's been happy and music that's been sad i mean they talk about the 80s and they compare the mid 80s and they talk about stuff like you know wham freedom and and bruce springsteen bruce springsteen's glory days but having said that that was also the decade of the smiths it was <laughs> a decade of a lot of goth music mm. it was you know nothing compares to you by Sinead O'Connor. that's not exactly a cheery banger so you know there have been you know i <laughs> I, I don't know to what extent this is just researchers trying to make a story for their research unit to get more funding or to what extent it really genuinely is mirroring kind of social and millennial trends. Well, maybe there is something in that as the world moves faster and shrinks in, actually into an ever smaller global village, maybe... It was becoming insecure at the same <laughs> well, time, yeah. yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe there's more and more sadness around and, um, you know, naturally that's reflected hmm. in the arts and therefore music, as you say, for many of the reasons you outlined. I, I I know this isn't scientific at all, um, but I was in a room with mixed generations in it a couple of Fridays ago, and a music show came on called Sounds Like Friday Night. And oh, this is the BBC trying to basically reboot Top of the Pops, isn't it? We turned it off because it was so maudlin. Everybody just said, oh my God, you know, this is like this real draggy stuff. Um, but I think overall... Oh, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So who can you remember who was on it? Oh, gosh, no, I can't now. Well, um, doesn't does, does no. that, does that tell us still? It, well. it, it does, yeah. It was it was just a, a maudlin blur to me. I don't know, but um, I mean, we we do turn to music to suit our mood, and, and you know, many teenagers like to sit in their darkened bedrooms. And I think you mentioned, you know, listening to goth favourites um, or introspective singer songwriters. That's been so for generations. But overall, 
we probably do. I th- I think we listen with our hearts, and it's also a very personal choice. I mean, yeah, me, absolutely. My view of what might me sort of happier in terms of music might send someone else into a cloud of despair. But I think <laughs> if there is any depth to this survey, then I think it is a bit disturbing that our culture, yeah. our songs, are sadder than ever before. Yeah, I, I agree, and I and I think you know I think the mental health point is probably quite valid here. And yes, it does. It I I think you know having a situation where more and more young people are experiencing mental health difficulties is is doesn't show to me that society is moving in a particularly progressive or or healthy direction. I don't think, and I think that the divisions that we're experiencing in the country at the moment only seem to get worse as politicians struggle to to be competent or or deliver anything that anybody seems to want really no one seems to be selling a positive vision at the moment i know labor tried at the last general election but but there is still quite a lot of negativity around them i think as well and i think that the the sort of the the mid 90s I'd be interested if there's a spike in the mid-90s, actually, because it felt like the mid-90s, you know, obviously changing government here, it's a time of great hope. I, 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 you know, those days seem very far away at the moment, that wave of positivity. Each year before the start of the football season... Oh, no. This is, this is the show that I dread the most every single year, can I just point out? <laughs> Julia and I predict which team will win the Premier League, which will get relegated in several other categories. How well did we do this year <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> yeah. that's next after gossip
sort of known perhaps fairly or unfairly as being a bit of a one-hit wonder band standing in the way of control was their super mega hit they had been going for a few years before that they they were the sort of band that used to come over on a self-funded tour and they'd play in brighton occasionally i never actually saw them but Mm. people used to talk about them when i went to see people like the tigra and steve kinney and people like that so they were very much sort of american sort of riot girl scenes that we all knew about and then they sort of unexpectedly exploded with that song but i do rather like this i I can't remember if that was on the same album as Standing in the Way of Control, whether it was whether it was on the follow-up album, but I heard it somewhere, and I just really, really liked it. I bought their Live in Liverpool uh, live album, hmm. as the name suggests, um, a few <laughs> years ago, and um, and that was one of the best songs on it, I thought. It really stood out. I really like that. It's the Gossip, and or just Gossip, I think they're called, and Jealous Girls. I've, I've always rather liked uh, Beth Ditto. Um, yes, there's much to admire about her. Well, I, I remember reading once that her favourite artists, I can't remember them all, but she listed like Susie Sue, Patti Smith, and Polly Styrene, and anyone who chooses those three you know it strikes a positive chord with yeah, absolutely, me absolutely absolutely she um i was what was i going to say she um yeah oh, I, I think we might have played on this podcast where mm. i've certainly played it on the radio the gossips cover of a uh, careless whisper which i think is superb oh, right. oh excellent mm. yeah now the one thing to say when we look back at this time each year <laughs> <laughs> it's oh dear usually isn't it? It, it usually is it's sort of oh my word at the predictions we made back in august uh, about the football season to come the one actually the one thing is that we're very consistent each year with our results yeah we always get it wrong in yes. fairness, which is, and, and we trail it now by saying we're going to get it wrong we get trolled for leaving people's favourite football oh, teams out and they inevitably are more right than we are and it's all a bit distressing really but we will continue to you know defenestrate ourselves for our uh, for our, the love of our viewing our, our viewing listening public I think this year we didn't do too badly with a couple of glaring exceptions, which yes, we'll, we'll okay, which we, 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 will, we will do a mere culpa for. For, surely, for, for, re, for relegation, Jules picked um, Huddersfield, Watford, and Southampton. Now that wasn't bad because they finished sixteenth, fourteenth, and seventeenth. Well, I, I, that that was you know not a million miles out. I just needed to you know. Uh, move my sort of Overton window to the right slightly, I think. Well, that's right. And I, I, we, we picked sort of um, along similar lines because I also had Huddersfield, but I had Brighton and Watford. So mine were 16th, 15th and 14th. So none Ooh. of our picks actually went down, but we no. were... All, we were Peppering the bullseye there. They were in the bottom quarter, I think. Mm. So, so yeah, we weren't too far away at all. I'm, I'm not unhappy with that. We all and were... I'm delighted that Brighton stayed up, by the way. Oh, really so, so am I. As I've said before, I admire Chris Hewton, um, the, the, the manager, immensely. I think he's a smashing man and a you know, terrific coach. Oh, really? There was a really nice article. I can't remember the chap's mm. name, but a chap that's been released by Brighton wrote a really interesting article in The Guardian today. And it was very gracious in that although mm. he was sad at having been released, it was full of... Of praise 
for well Chris Hooten particularly but also the Brighton project in mm. general and how how brilliant they are and he sort of named the chap as their sort of fixer guy and and it just seems to be they seem to be doing something really special there so I'm really pleased that they're, that they're, they're doing well or well enough to, to maintain it if you, because they might who knows maybe when we come to the predictions in the summer mm. I might be tipping them to do a Leicester who oh, knows oh my word wow that's goodness me well maybe that's hope rather than a yeah. rather than we always rather doomily predict the first managerial sacking of the season <laughs> Uh, Juliet chose Paul Clement at Swansea, and he did get the push just before Christmas. So again, you know, <laughs> yeah, sorry, Paul, but yeah. but you know, not 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 a million miles out. But I did hit the jackpot with this one. I picked Frank de Boer at Crystal Palace as the first sacking, but even I didn't guess it would come after only four Premier League games. I thought he might do all right, actually. I think I might have poo-pooed your prediction at the time, <laughs> but that was that was pretty quick, though, wasn't it? And actually, from all the Crystal Palace fans, I know not a moment too soon, it turned out. Well, absolutely. But this season has been even crazier for Premier League It's um, been, it's been ridiculous. I literally sessions. don't know who's managing anyone anymore. Well, it's the merry-go-round. There were 10, man- 10 managerial changes from the day the Premier League kicked off, and that doesn't include caretaker managers so that's you know full-time proper managers so it's 50 percent gone in the in the space ridiculous, of the season ridiculous. and it includes west brom twice as they sacked tony <laughs> pulis then uh, appointed alan pardew and then sacked him three months later not so, as the crystal palace fans experiencing shackton freud at that as well in my, in my experience really I, I do wonder how much longer this will go on this thing of allardyce pardew Pulis, um, Hodgson, uh, Mark, Mark Hughes, all going round that circuit of underperforming bottom half of the Premiership so clubs. Know, why would you want to touch any of them with I a barge pole if you were a chairman of one of those clubs anymore? If you've failed that many times. I know. And at best, at very best, you're going to get uh, a kind of little blip of success before it all mm. caves in again. So, and by success, right. you mean they might finish eighth. Yes, well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, we both selected Aston Villa to win the championship and that wasn't too bad at all because at the time we record this they're in the playoff final at Wembley um, oh, okay. to, to go up so um, they got they got off to a bit of a shaky start otherwise they they might well have gotten closer to mm. Wolverhampton so that wasn't a bad one um, our picks for surprise teams in the Premiership, they were mm-hmm. disastrous, Jules. Yes. Um, my, <laughs> my pick was Everton, who slalomed from one managerial crisis to another. Gosh, yeah, and th- they did finish a really feeble eighth. 51 points adrift of uh, the champions, Manchester well, City. Which, actually, I thought your pick was was potentially a sensible one. Yes. I don't think it was. I don't think it was. It was like me picking West Ham to finish third last year. It was, it was <laughs> at the time, they yes, had a new yeah. stadium. And it all seemed to be it all seemed to be pointing in the right direction. Now we do have to say you selected <laughs> as your surprise hit team of the year <laughs> West Bromwich Albion. Yes, who, who, who were in with a bullet at twentieth out of twenty in the Premier League. I, 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 you know, I, I don't know. Was it them? Was it me? I don't know what happened, but God, it went really, really wrong for them, didn't it? It really did. And, culmin- and they also had the Pardew experience as well. Didn't they had they? the Pardew experience mm. culminating in a, a an away day or no, away long weekend training yes. trip to Barcelona. We've already, yes, we've which already we spoken about this, haven't we? Yes, Gareth, ago, yes. Gareth Barry and Co. Yes, not a not. You know, I'm very. I'm not just angry. I'm just disappointed in you, <laughs> Westbrook. We we did 
pretty well, well in our selections for the top four in the Premiership. Mm. Um, Jules, you had from fourth to first in, in order, Liverpool fourth, Man United third, Arsenal second, Chelsea first. Mm-hmm. Not disastrous. I picked from fourth to first. Fourth, Man U, uh, Chelsea third, Tottenham second, and Man City as champion. So we did okay there, I so think. So what was, what was the reminders of the final top four? Um, Man City came top. Man yep. United came um, second. second, Tottenham third, and Liverpool fourth. So, so, so we did I all was right. wrong to I, the, the the online quote unquote abuse. I mean that jovially. Mm. It wasn't abuse at all that I received for ignoring Tottenham Hotspur again. Um, actually turned out to be well founded. So apologies, Joe, for oh, doing that. I, I learned my <laughs> lesson from the previous year of forgetting Absolutely, Tottenham yes. and, and being reminded of my folly, as you, as you say. Mm. So uh, yes, um, so you'll. All have a lot of confidence, I know, uh, in us when we reveal our World Cup predictions in a in a couple of weeks. Oh yes, um, so set, set your diaries, people. That's going to be a cracker, frankly. I, I'm predicting, you know, I might even predict teams that aren't in the World Cup just for the bands. <laughs> I think if you're a gambler, don't follow our selections. I was going to say, it? put it all on Italy, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the best double acts of all time, apart from mm. apart from Juliet and me, of, of yes, course. Yes, name a more iconic duo, etc. To quote the online meme impossible to do so um mm. best double x of all time that's coming up right after diana ross and marvin gay Hear what it say Stop and listen to your heart 
This comes from an absolutely wonderful album, um, Dinah Ross and, and, and Marvin Gaye, very, the very top of their game. Um, and I have to say, even after all of these years, Dinah Ross's voice, it just melts me into the into It's the one pavement. of the nicest voices, really I think. Is. I completely agree. What a treat. Both of them on the same record. That is just, you know, two of the great voices of that era or any era, I think, really. It seems like it was a, a difficult album uh, to record. Marvin Gaye said, uh, quote, we were like two spoiled kids going after the same cookie. And mm. they, they, they ended up not recording in the same room for some of the final Well, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's hard, I suppose, really. Yeah. I mean, uh, Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell seem to be it seemed to be a more natural double act um yes i think it, 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 he got linked up with dinosaurs because but sadly tammy terrell um, died at a very young age she and, did yeah, didn't she which yeah. is such a pity they got through uh, dominus marvin gay on this album they got through six producers in the end to finish this i mean that's 30 not a that's gone terribly well is it it's really if someone most producers have gone do you know what you know sod this i'm not being paid enough bye guys <laughs> but the end result i think belies all the problems from the album Diana and Marvin, released in 1973. Diana Ross, Marvin It took them so long to think up the name, didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) This is all right. Stop, look, listen to your heart. Also, they they were hoping, I think, for a career diversifying into Green Cross Code films, which which (laughs) never seemed to go anywhere, did it, really? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wait, what was that? Um, Before the Green Cross Code, man, there was a Tufty the Squirrel we had when I was was. a boy. There was a lot of animals as well, Mm. yeah. Yeah, Tufty used to try and guide us to look both ways before. Crossing. Yes, you were a member of the Tufty Club, I think. Yes, yeah, I, um, I, I was. I, there was also Charlie, who mm. was who was the, talked about not going off with strangers, which the Prodigy then brilliantly sampled for a rave record. Um, my my favourite when I was a child, we had two hedgehogs singing "King of the Road," which was quite sweet. I used to quite enjoy that. Public information films. That was what Charlie was from. Yes, and they was. they used to show them um, it, when when BBC had nothing else to do during the day, and they bung a few of these public information <laughs> films. I remember, and the, and the Green Cross Code Man was, of course, the guy that. Um, yes. Dave Prowse that went on to play Darth Vader. That's right, Dave Prowse. Um, there was a, a public information film, and uh, it, it was a it was a cartoon. There was a little boy and his mum walking along, and they they saw a crocodile who was like baring his teeth at them. And I remember it, the little boy went, "Look, mum, crocodile." And the mum said, I wonder if he's a good little boy like you and cleans his teeth every morning and before he goes to bed. That's really good. Although I suspect the crocodile toothbrush might be a little a little bit differently proportioned. Yeah, it would have to be like a huge yard broom, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, probably incorrect to call Diana and Marvin, who we just heard a double act. Um, they were two people that were very good at what they did that were put together to do the same uh, thing. I uh, think that's a slightly different, different circumstance. Exactly so. But it did lead us towards considering our favourite double acts of all time. And we've picked three sets each. Um, What's your first couple of featured double acts, Jules? Well, and actually... I was thinking about this, and I feel a little bit like I do when I'm asked to name my favourite songs or my favourite albums, which is if you ask me next week or even tomorrow, the answer might be different. Mm. But these are the, the three that whose work I'm particularly enjoying and resonating with me at the moment. In third place, and they are relatively new, I suppose, but I'm a huge fan of this, this podcast mm. that's a fairly recent innovation. It's on its third series already, I think. They call it a series whenever they go off on holiday, so <laughs> I think we've had many series mm. um, over the last few years. Um, it's a, a feature Glover and Jane Garvey, who are both oh, yeah. primarily Radio 4 presenters, although they've both been at 5 Live as well. 
and they do a podcast called Fortunately, which is uh, produced by the BBC. And it started off as a them playing bits of their favourite radio shows to each other. And then it just people, they realised <laughs> that if you were listening to that podcast, the chances are you listen to Radio 4 anyway, so you've heard most of it already. It is just the two of them being very very silly most of the time or just chatting about their lives but well, i think fee glover is 48 or 49 and uh, jane garvey is about 52 or 52 and they, they sort of they mentioned this and they sort of talk about jane garvey's sort of menopausal health is very much a, a feature <laughs> of their kind of chat and her various her various issues that go on each week and um, but the funny thing is that they they let them talk so jane garvey's been very outspoken about equal pay at the bbc mm. and they end up talking about that so you learn the sort of there's meant to be it's built now as stories there were tales that are told when the microphone's off though as i pointed out if the microphone was off they wouldn't be able to record the podcast but anyway <laughs> it's metaphorical and they talked about how jane garvey was interviewed about equal pay along along sort of around the carrie gracie time oh, yeah. and she said that brilliantly the bbc doorstepped her when she was on her way into broadcast or one of the news organizations mm. doorstepped her on the way into broadcasting house and she said on that day they were hosting at women's hour someone that had bid in a competition for children in need to go in and spend the day at women's hour what a day to go in yeah. and and as a result of which part of their prize was that jane garvey would make them a cake because she's very into baking so she walked in carrying her cake tin and so they said so basically jane garvey's cake tin ended up on the news <laughs> and her and pro bob on twitter is now a picture of the cake tin so you learn things like that and they they get guests in and it's really interesting when they get guests in because you hear the two of them they work in different ways as interviewers go and fee glover is very shrewd she's a very shrewd sharp interviewer that grabs actually sort of opens people up <clears throat> jane garvey just seems to char- for someone that sort of complains to have no personal life she charms every man that goes on it's really entertaining so they they just are magic you can tell that they're kind of very fond they are friends and they're fond of each other and uh the the one that they did between christmas and new year was the first one back fee glover had been very ill with flu all over christmas and so they actually did it from her house and so it begins with them turning up at her house and her being full of cold about halfway through she they talk about whether or not she's going to infect them and she just says rather sadly don't leave i haven't spoken to anyone in days oh. so, so it's, they, they are magic i just i i love fortunately i think it's and it, it's hit you know someone that was an early adopter unfortunately it's uh we're now on nearly 50 episodes and it's it's sort of number one in the podcasting charts and it's doing really well but they're just fab they're just a magic combination i think okay and your your second choice but another set of two women actually interestingly i nearly picked french and saunders but the reason i'm going to pick these two and again they're another fairly modern double act although i have followed them since i was a team because they started off doing things in the 90s fun enough they used to write for french and saunders um i'm picking uh mel Godoyk and sue perkins or mel and sue as they're known for you know lots of reasons they are very funny i think but again they are a magic combo and the thing that i love about them that made them so good at bake off and makes them so good on whatever they present together i think is that it is obvious that they both love each other very very much and it's but not in a way that is you know 
sexual at all which i love actually they're they're just are two people that mean the world to each other and so everything they do and i know this sounds really pretentious but i don't end sentimental but but no i think it's good that everything they do i think is infused with that spirit so when they are on bake-off they are very kind um apparently it is alleged that the reason that bake-off had such a nice atmosphere was fairly early on the cameraman were instructed to zoom in on contestants that were things were going wrong or they were crying or upset and mel and sue had this habit of swearing profusely in shot mm. so that the footage couldn't be used and in the end the hint was taken and, and it was kind of moved on i just i just think that they they clearly know each other inside out which i think is important for a double act to work and i you know i feel safe with them because they are just so safe with each with each other and i find that really inspiring and moving I I worked with them very briefly that as I was coming into the end of my time of working on radio oh, for yes. comedy shows they were just beginning to get some work and they they did some work I think it was on weekending I was going to say I, was it weekend I think it was and I can remember them doing just out of university I think and I just they must have been so young they were then. very very young and I do I do remember them in the in the writers room but uh, yeah so um Two two great choices there. Well, I'm going back to my childhood for my first mm. choice. Um, not so many people now will remember Chelsea's striking duo in, in the late sixties and early seventies. Peter Osgood and mm. Ian Hutchinson. They they were but they were absolutely terrific. And it, this was in an age of mud clogged pitches and uh, Norman bite your legs hunter trying to kick uh, forwards <laughs> into the stands. Um, in the 1969-70 season, um, they scored 53 goals between uh, between them, and they were an absolute joy uh, to watch. And mm. such a duo and partnership that after they uh, after they retired from football about the same time, they ran a pub together. Uh, oh, did they? they oh, that, did, that's like yeah. a sitcom in real life, isn't it? Really, it's the Union Inn in in Windsor of all places. Oh wow, gosh! Um, my second choice is based on. One of the greatest ever on-screen relationships and romances. Mm. Um, it's Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. <laughs> uh, Great choice. <laughs> now, this is very complicated. And I, I have mm. to say, um, I, did, I lost a lot of respect for Kermit in that Miss Piggy was always very open about her love for Kermit. But he seemed to play the whole thing for laughs and, and, and mm. insult her. He was, he was a bit cool, wasn't he, really? Yeah. Now, as we know, eventually... He found his true feelings, and they mm-hmm. married, and then they broke up, got back together, and then broke up again. And I, I they know are the Burton and Taylor of the animal puppet world, exactly aren't they? Exactly. So uh, Miss Piggy, she, she, she was a bit violent. It has to be said in, in the relationship. <laughs> yeah, she, she could have. Yeah, she she did do a bit of karate. I think she did. And, and Kermit, as I say, been a bit of a romance denier. So I, I do have my reservations. But yes, they are indeed the Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton of the Muppet world. So I choose. Kermit and Miss Piggy. I still think there's hope two. for them, you know. I, I, I wouldn't put it well, past them to get back together again. It, it, it is very, very possible. Right, again, rather like Taylor and Burton, um, you know, it, it could all come come good again. And it, indeed, you know, indeed, if they tour again, it, that might bring them together. Yeah, Although it didn't work with Fleetwood Mac, did it? No, so, I was going to you know, say. Oh well, maybe they'll have to get Neil Finn in to help <laughs> out. I assume, but presumably he'll be available after Fleetwood Mac have finished touring. <laughs> Who are your tip-top number one double act? 
Well, and again, uh, sort of moving on from the Mel and Sue thing, mm. again, a duo who were often in bed together, but not at all in a sexual way. I, I am, I just Morecambe and Wise are just <sighs> it for me. I just think that they're that they're perfect. Lots of other double acts, of course. The two Ronnies also excellent in how they mm. interacted with each other, but Morecambe and Wise just seem to share a silliness that that you know. Mm. Again, there seemed to be a connection that that went beyond. I think all all three, perhaps Glover and Garvey, I think will develop that more over time. Mm. But certainly the, the top two sets of two that I've picked have some sort of chemistry that I think, and the same with Anton Deck, I suppose, as well, go, that goes beyond two people, goes beyond the Diana and Marvin, two people being quite good at what they do and happen to be doing it in mm. the same place. And, and you don't get the impression they could do it with anybody else, if you see what I mean. It really does seem to be the 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 right combo and i very much enjoyed the drama about morecambe and wise and, and eddie braben that was on over christmas i thought that was great and i that they they would they just had something that that i can't even explain how good they are if you see what i mean yes, i can't explain yeah, why they're good and that's a sign i think that there's something really special going on so i'm a i always here for for a morecambe and wise i just just think they were they were just the best i think i think if you hadn't picked them i probably would have done so yeah. so i totally and, and, and I have been, you've trailed your top choice, and I think had you not picked that, I probably would have put that in my, I'm afraid Glover and Garby might have been just highly commended. <laughs> It was it was actually hard picking only three double acts because I I had to discard Gilbert and George, Cheech and Chong, and of course, <laughs> I mean, has anybody ever said those sets in the same sentence before? I don't think so. Well, of course, I, I also had to guard. I mean, everybody will at home will be saying, but what about Samantha and Darren from Bewitched? And uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I I, I had to I drop them. You mean the television program? The television program, yeah. <laughs> Double denim Irish act of the of the late nineties. No, no, the nineteen sixties uh, black and white uh, film with Elizabeth Montgomery as the nose twitching um, witch. No, you could have also gone Lucy and 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 Ricardo, of course. You yes, might love Lucy. I love Lucy. Yes, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz Jr. <laughs> Or Mindy, they were also excellent. Um, yeah, lots, lots of things. You know, I, I personally could have possibly picked Morrissey and Ma back in the day. Another great double act. But for my top pick, I have to go back to that special day, sixth of the Ju- July, nineteen fifty-seven, mm-hmm. when John Lennon and Paul McCartney mm-hmm. met for the first time at the Garden Fate at St Peter's Church, Walton in, in Liverpool. And, you, you know, you were talking about chemistry and connections, mm. and I think you've absolutely nailed it. That's what it's all about, because something sparked from John Lennon and his mate Pete Shotton, because two weeks later they invited McCartney to, to join their group. And I think, just imagine what we would have been denied if Lennon had sort of said, nah, nah, can't be bothered with him, and hadn't realised that Paul McCartney would be such an asset. Now, I know, of course, it's true that they didn't write songs together on a 50-50 basis. But as we mm. know, one would have an idea, the other might write the middle eight or suggest some lyrics or chords. Whatever and however it worked, to create the most important songwriting partnership, I think, in the 20th century. Mm, so my, absolutely. my greatest double act of all time, John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Well, what a, what a set of six, eh? Mm. I don't think you could go far wrong. Absolutely right. Now... Jules, assuming you're not DJing at the royal wedding, which, as we record this, is <laughs> happening tomorrow, assuming you're not, you, you haven't been booked for the evening gig. Where, where might we find you this week? 
Well, I bet that if I was booked to DJ the Royal Wedding, which, you know, in some shocking omission I wasn't, um, you know, it would it would be the same as every wedding I would ever DJ, which is at least one person will come up to me and ask for the cha-cha slide. So I hope that, that Harry and Meghan get what they want from the DJ at the Royal Wedding. Um, I'm uh, I'm actually popping away for a little while, so, mm. so I'm not really out and about very much this week. I think there will be an Indie Wonderland show on Wednesday in some form or another. I don't think it's giving the game away to say I'm not going to be there but there will be some sort of show on wednesday evening 8 to 10 p.m barricaderadio.com you might get a treat from the archives you might get something i can i can make if i can stay awake for long enough <laughs> you're going away for a few days with your bucket and spade i think i yeah. am yes i'm well there might be a bit of beaching i'm going up to the uh, the people's republic of suffolk for, <laughs> for a few days uh, which is a place in the country that i love very much indeed so very much looking forward to uh, to uh, playing spot the second home in Southwold. that's always a, a good a good thing and uh, of course indulging in the delights of uh, Ad- Adnams Brewery, uh, one of the world's nice. best. Um, if I didn't live in the county of Harvey's, I would say it was the world's best. And um, and also Ives Ice Cream Parlour. I can Ooh. almost smell the red grape flavour from here. Thanks to you for listening. Yes, and, and you as well. Yeah, yeah, and thanks to executive producer Rona. Yes, always. To play us out, I think a very innovative trio, uh, Jules. Yeah, I very much. I'm glad you agree. Mm. That's a very that's a very good statement, and I'm glad you made that. Yes, um, they played again recently. Um, so the leader of this particular band is a chap called Luke Haynes, everyone's favourite curmudgeon. I think, frankly, <laughs> certainly my favourite curmudgeon, um, who uh, played in the auteurs and and then sort of ended up doing this as a project. Um, he wrote a memoir called Bad Vibes, which is really worth reading if you haven't. I don't know. I don't know if I think it's brilliant or hateful, and I think it's often both at the same time and i think he will probably say that as well but um it is it is fab and uh, and this band um so the it was him john moore who at one point was britain's a premier or possibly only imp- importer of, of absinthe he was very big in the absinthe game and it, well, i think was involved in the idler magazine at one point as well so very much a kind of a, a disheveled gentleman and a, a woman called sarah nixie um and the three of them were black box recorder and sarah nixie and john moore i'm informed by one of my spies recently uh, joined luke haynes when he was playing a solo gig so um so they they said we haven't got back together but they did play together which was nice but no, i always enjoyed black box recorders output um and i did a, a Britpop show as you kindly alluded to in the intro last um uh, i say last week no it felt like last week it was only a couple of days ago so much happens and um i really i really someone requested this and i couldn't resist playing it perhaps not necessarily straightforward Britpop, although the auteurs i think were one of the five bands that were on the selects uh brit pop is coming cover the, the sort of thing that launched it but um no i really like this this is a black box recorder and this is england made me i trapped a spider underneath the glass I kept it for a week to see how long he'd last He stared right back at me He thought that he could win We played a waiting game He thought that I'd give in
You have been listening to a DACA Media Production.